0: In the stillness of night and the quiet of our minds, we often find ourselves yearning for stories that both terrify and intrigue, stories of otherworldly apparitions and unexplained phenomena. But have you ever stopped to wonder, where does it all begin? Welcome to Retraced Echoes. Well, looky there, you found Bert's podcast. Welcome to the pilot episode of Retraced Echoes, the podcast where I'm going to explore the eerie, mysterious and unexplainable corners of our world like i said i'm Bert, and i'll be your guide on this journey i want to say thank you so much whether you're listening at home during your commute or dare i say a dimly lit somewhat spooky room i'm so glad to have you here when i was building this pilot episode i said i needed something that was going to get this ball rolling and what better location to talk about than the whaley house Now, the Whaley House is located in Old Town, San Diego. You gotta understand, this just isn't an old historical building. It's been dubbed by many as America's most haunted house. Just imagine it. A single home with a history so rich and eerie that has drawn the attention of historians, paranormal experts, and curious visitors alike for years. Now, in this episode, we're going to dive right into the hauntings and I guess what really started everything with the Whaley House. See, the way that we see the Whaley House now is it's obviously haunted by multiple entities, but where did this all originate from? Where did it all come from? And we're going to be diving into that. We're going to explore firsthand accounts of ghostly experiences and delve into the folklore that surrounds this fascinating location. Now, let's get the history out of the way real quick. The house was built in 1857 by Thomas Whaley. He was a New York native, and he moved to San Diego. Obviously, the California gold rush was going on, and he wanted to capitalize on that experience. As soon as he got there, he became a pretty prominent local businessman. His thought process was not just to build a house, but he wanted to create somewhat of a, a community hub, if that makes any kind of sense. So instead of being just a home, it was also San Diego's first commercial theater, the county courthouse, and a general store at various times. Now, I think probably what makes this story so riveting or exciting is the fact that the land in which Thomas Wheatley built his house has seen his fair share of tragedies long before he placed one brick on that location. Prior to its construction, it was actually the site of public executions. Okay, who didn't see that one coming? It seems like whenever we talk about ghost stories or we take a look at the history of a location that's supposedly haunted, There's always some type of traumatic experience that seems to occur, but this story, it goes a different direction for me. The reason I say that is, obviously, if you go to the Whaley house now and they talk about the hauntings that occur there, it's based on this Whaley family. But we have to understand the Whaley family themselves was haunted at the very beginning of this story. And like I say, the property was a site of public executions before Thomas Whaley did anything, and the most infamous of which was the hanging of Yankee Jim Robinson. Now, another fascinating thing to this story is, according to the historical account, Thomas Whaley was an eyewitness to that grim event. Now, I'm completely fine if you want to call me superstitious. I would have never built my house on that location based on the events that he himself was an eyewitness to. The decision that Thomas made would set the stage for what many believe is a series of hauntings that still continue to this day. Now, as I tell this story, it's going to be over the course of many years. And over those years, you're going to see cases where the member of the Whaley's family, they're going to face untold hardships. They're going to have everything from business failures to tragic deaths that's occurring in the house. But just because someone passed away in this story doesn't mean that they left the house. Now, what makes this location so haunted? Like, why do we label this as one of the most haunted locations of all time? Well, visitors and staff have reported a plethora of paranormal activity here. Everything from footsteps when no one is around, to cold spots in various rooms, the swinging of the crystal chandelier, and even full-bodied apparitions dressed in period clothing. So I guess with all that in mind, it should come to no one's surprise that the Whaley House has caught the attention of paranormal investigators and enthusiasts nationwide let's be honest if you watch the ghost show i can almost guarantee at some point in time the whaley location has been on there at least once and the house has been officially designated as a historical site and is now a museum which is open to the public now i can assure you those who tour the whaley house are probably not necessarily looking for a history lesson if i was a betting man i'd say they're on a quest for the unknown Now as I begin to unwrap the layers of this fascinating location, I just want everyone to kind of keep an open mind. Whether you're a skeptic or you're a believer, the stories that's going to echo through the halls of the Whaley House offer a unique glimpse into the mysterious interplay between history and folklore, between the living and possibly the dead. Now before we jump into the actual hauntings that's happening today, we got a journey back in the time before the Whaley house even stood to the events that a lot of people say is the foundation for why the house has its eerie reputation. Now I want to introduce everyone to a man named James Yankee, Jim Robinson, whose life and subsequently his death would become woven in the lore of what is known as the Whaley house. Now the thing with Yankee Jim is he was a man that had less than a stellar reputation. He was a really tall man, towering figure And he was kind of known to be a little mischievous it was also noted that he was well known but he was not necessarily well liked now Yankee Jim he wasn't from San Diego he was actually from Sydney Australia how he found himself in San Diego is somewhat of a mystery but somehow he managed to find himself smack dab in the social fabric of it now how did this story actually start it started with a rowboat Yankee Jim got his eyes on this rowboat now you have to understand Rowboats are not the same as what they were back in the day. And this rowboat was owned by a very prominent local businessman. Back then, boats were more than transportation. They were actually a tangible extension of prosperity. So only the elite would have something like that. And that's something that Yankee Jim wanted was some form of prosperity, I guess is how you would look at it. Perhaps it was desperation or maybe just poor judgment but he decided to steal that rowboat. Now, unfortunately for Yankee Jim, his attempt at theft was discovered and discovered relatively quick. You gotta understand, San Diego was somewhat of a tight-knit community and they were quick to respond. Yankee Jim was found, he was apprehended, and the court did not look too kindly on his actions. They found him guilty and the sentence was as swift as it was severe. What was his sentence? To be hung until he was dead. Now, this sentence was carried out back on September 18th of 1852. And you have to remember, back then, this type of spectacle, the entire town would typically come and watch it. So you have to imagine that a crowd actually gathered around. And the way that they did it back then was a little bit different than most people would probably assume or how the movies show it or TV shows. But what they typically would do is they would place a set of temporary gallows which were relatively common back then, they would often erect it solely for the purpose of a specific execution, and then they would go and disassemble it later. And what they would do is they would have basically a base. They would put the person on top of a wagon. They would tie a noose around her neck, and then they would pull the wagon from underneath them. And the goal was that they would fall off the wagon, their neck would break, and they would die a relatively quick death. Well, unfortunately, this execution did not work like that. Honestly, little did anyone know, but this moment would probably be the chilling legend that reverberated through the walls of San Diego history and eventually haunted the very ground where Thomas Whaley would later build his home. Because as that wagon pulled away, due to his height, Jim had a very awkward drop. Now, the new still tightened, and due to the height and the awkward drop the death was not immediate instead he choked slowly some even said that his boots was scraping the ground as he struggled for air that is probably one of the most horrific ways to die now of all the horrible ways to die obviously hangings were grim but they were a significant community event they were designed not just obviously to give justice to those that were found guilty but to serve kind of as a warning for others to not do the same thing that these criminals were doing back in the day. Now it should come to no surprise that today, Yankee Jim's presence is one of the most frequently reported phenomena in the Whaley House. Now visitors and staff alike have reported hearing heavy dragging footsteps across the ground, and some would even suggest much like the sound of Yankee Jim's boots that was barely sliding in the ground as he swung on that noose. But it's not just that. They also say that there's ominous feelings or like a sense of being watched or followed, particularly around the area that once served as those gallows. The creepy part, at least to me, is that some even report hearing muffled groans and gasps. Now, if this was a story, Chapter 1 obviously had to go to Yankee Jim, but that said, Chapter 2 would have to go to Thomas Whaley. Thomas was born October 5th of 1823 in New York. He was part of a family with Scottish roots, but... Whaley left New York and moved to San Francisco in 1849. He was hoping to capitalize on the California gold rush, but after a little bit of time there, he relocated to San Diego, where he became, obviously, a prominent local businessman. He ended up deciding to build the Whaley house in 1857 at the age of just 34 years old. Let that sink in, 34 years old businessman already building his first house. Now, all the accounts said that Thomas Whaley was there at the execution for Yankee Jim, which makes me question why? Why of all the different places that he would build, why would he build the site where there was public executions? I mean, obviously, we understand that these things were built and then tore back down, but he was there. He was there when Yankee Jim was hung. Why would he build a house right there, right on that spot? Now, this shouldn't be a shocker, but some say it's due to the affordability of the land, which, again, if you watch TV shows, if you watch any kind of movies, it's always the house that's super cheap. Or I guess in this case, it's the land. The land was super cheap. But you know what I'm saying? If you go back to TV shows, you go back to movies, it's always the house that's super cheap that has the doggone demon in it. You know what I'm saying? Now, there's also stories that I read that said that Thomas simply didn't subscribe to superstitions of the time either, so I guess I can understand not being superstitious, but still this was a land that was marred with tragedy. At best case scenario, you're still going to think back to where those gallows are, or at least I would. But whether it was a matter of economics or a willful dismissal of the folklore, Thomas Whaley's decision to construct his family home there left an imprint that would make the Whaley House a repository of some of the most compelling and chilling tales in American history. Even though he may not have paid a lot of money for the land, he paid way more than what he'll ever imagine. Now, the house was complete in 1857. And what Thomas decided was he didn't want to build merely a house. He didn't want to build just a Whaley family residence. He also wanted to make a commercial hub because again, he's a savvy businessman. So Thomas, Anna, and their young children were all ready to move in. I don't think there's anything more exciting than moving into a new home or having a brand new adventure, especially back then. You have to remember 1857. This was probably the highlight of all of their lives. Their excitement, however... It would be short-lived almost immediately strange occurrences began manifesting between the freshly painted walls it all started relatively innocent creaks and little groans and the family attributed that to just the house setting but soon the sounds evolved into something far more unsettling footsteps heavy unmistakable footsteps echoing through empty rooms and barren hallways Now, with this, the family was literally baffled. Thomas was going around checking the locks. He was reassuring his wife and his children. But deep down, you have to wonder if he thought back to Yankee Jim Robinson, the man whose life was brutally taken on the very ground where he built that house. He was there, and he was a witness to what occurred. Now, the footsteps, they became a constant companion, especially at the dead of night, and members of the family reported feeling an unseen presence almost like a weight in the air that seemed to linger, especially in the hallways where the footsteps were most frequently heard. It's as if someone or something is pacing back and forth. Yep, you guessed it. Probably the spirit of Yankee Jim. But again, Thomas was a man of reason and practicality, so I can only assume that he struggled with the unsettling events. He probably, in his own imagination, was trying to figure out if he thought this was the spirit of Yankee Jim. Now Anna Thomas's wife, she oftentimes spoke of these occurrences. She said that a chill would go down her spine whenever she crossed the hallway, as though someone's icy finger was brushing against her. She quickly turned around, her heart pounding in her ears, but all she was ever met with was empty space. And you want to talk about something even more eerie as a child when you're experiencing this? I couldn't even imagine. this midnight. The Whaley children all tucked into their beds. The room is obviously dark, except for back then, maybe the soft glow of a single candle flickering on a nightstand. Each child covered in some type of a handmade quilt. I can only assume children back then worked way harder, so their eyes were probably heavy with the weight of the day. It was said, though, that as they would try to sleep, they would hear a voice, almost a whisper, some form of a intelligent, Haunting, I guess, in a case like this, they would be sleeping and all of a sudden they would hear, Violet, Corinne, Francis. Now, I can almost guarantee those children were now wide eyed, focused on the darkness, watching that candle flicker. I'm sure they looked around, their little hearts probably pounding in their chest, but they never saw anyone. They never saw anything. There was a story that one day an old family friend was visiting. And they pointed towards the ceiling and said, hey, do you hear that? The creaking. It sounds like a rope under tension. I think that's where probably Thomas Whaley's mind started going back to Yankee Jim. Because you got to remember, these are all sounds that they would grown accustomed to. But now hearing it through someone else's ears, the recognition probably dawned on him. Hey, that does sound like a rope being stretched under a hanging man's noose. Shortly after this, it wasn't unaccustomed for objects in the house to be moved around. A book would fall off the shelf, a chair would slightly slide in its place. Again, almost like someone or something was making itself more comfortable within their own home. Now, it's said that Anna was even as much of a skeptic or maybe more of a skeptic than Thomas. So, a lot of times, she would attribute these incidences to natural causes like a gust of wind. Again, the house settling, which was popular... Or just the mischievous antics of her younger children. But deep inside, I believe that she had to know. But it wasn't just Anna, even the family dogs seemed wary, oftentimes growling at empty spaces, its eyes tracking something that no one else could see. Again, they say animals have a sense that humans don't have. So was the dog seeing the spirit of Yankee Jim? now it's said that thomas became fed up and desperate to try to protect his family so he mustered the courage to confront whatever was haunting his house with a lantern in hand he stepped out of the bedroom the air was thick electric as if charged with the ghostly specter himself but as thomas descended those stairs each step seemed to echo the beat of his own heart thump 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 he heard almost what sounded like a song and the song grew louder filling the air with a mournful melody. And then, as he reached the bottom of the staircase, the lantern flickered, casting shadows that danced like eternal flames on the walls. Suddenly, the singing stopped. Thomas felt a cold draft pass over him as though someone walked right through him. Slowly, he raised his lantern, and what he saw was a sight so ghastly, so petrifying, that it left him rooted to that spot. I can only imagine his blood turned to ice. There, hovering in front of him, was a translucent figure of Yankee Jim, his face twisted in grimace as if frozen in a final apologetic moment on the gallows. And I think for the first time, Thomas Whaley understood the haunting would never stop because Yankee Jim was now part of their lives, as permanent as a house that stood on his execution grounds. But it just wasn't the haunting that they were dealing with. Just one year after Thomas Whaley had completed construction on the multi-purpose building, he had a section that was dedicated to what was known as the Whaley's General Store, and that began to fail. Now, Thomas had high hopes of entrepreneurship. After all, he was a seasoned businessman who had seen some measure of success in his other ventures. But sometimes even the best laid plans can fall apart. The economic condition in San Diego was turbulent at best, and Thomas Whaley's general store was not immune to it. Even though the location that he chose, in my personal opinion, was probably one of the worst possible locations, it was a very strategic location for the townspeople. But the store still struggled to get patrons. Debts began to pile up, inventory sat unsold, and the burden of keeping the business afloat weighed heavily on him. In a crushing blow to his business spirit, the general store failed. Now the question I would ask is was it simply a business failure or was it perhaps influenced by uneasy spirits that many believe was already residing in the house and it was proven, at least to Thomas. If you ask me, it's a question that invites us to ponder just how deeply the lines between material and the spiritual worlds are intertwined in the mysterious history of this house. But as though that's not bad enough, let's fast forward four years. The year is 1862, and the Whaley family, who's already weathered that business failure, would face a heart-wrenching ordeal that would leave a mark on their lives, and many say, the house itself. The youngest of the Whaley children, Thomas Whaley Jr., was just 18 months old when the tragedy struck. Little Thomas Jr. was plagued with scarlet fever, which was all too common in the 19th century, but no less devastating. Now, back then, medical science was not as advanced as it is today. Families could do honestly very little, but watch and pray over their loved ones as they battled the illnesses. The Whaley's were no exception. Despite their best efforts to treat him, young Thomas Whaley Jr. succumbed to the disease. For the family, it is said all too often, the loss of a child is an unbearable sorrow, and the Whaley's were deeply affected. Now, after grappling with this loss the Whaley family kind of wanted to move forward. They wanted to carry the memory of their son, but reclaim some type of semblance of the life that they had visioned in that home. So what Thomas Whaley did was so bold. In 1868, just six years after the devastating loss, he wanted to convert the upstairs into a theater, which he hoped would breathe new life into the home that would become, unfortunately for them up to that point, synonymous with sorrow. Their goal was to bring this theater in almost like a cultural cornerstone, a place where they could experience joy and laughter and entertainment. And honestly, it would enrich in that San Diego community. Yet, the theater would prove to be another setback, another chapter of dashed hopes for the Whaley family. Despite the initial excitement that it seemed like everyone had for it, the venture failed to catch the attention of the public. Which, again, it makes me wonder if, again, it was the location. At this point in time, you have to know that people are probably talking about all the experiences that's happening. And I'm assuming there's a series of people that are probably also talking about the executions that occurred there. The truth of the story was they wasn't able to compete with some of the larger, more popular venues in the area. So just like the general store, they closed the doors. The crazy part is, the failed theater venture just seemed to add another layer of complexity to the home's weird history. I think we can all agree at this point, there's something weird going on with this home. Now, as the curtains closed on the ill-fated theater venture, their lives had been marked with a series of ups and downs. Yes, more downs than ups. Yet, just as they were adjusting to the silence of the vacant theater, a new note was added to the compositions of their lives. In 1871, Anna Amelia Whaley was born. Can you imagine? In those first few weeks, I can only assume that the Whaleys probably looked at Anna Amelia as a sign. Perhaps, maybe all their misfortunes was at the end. There's something about the joys of a new child that could bring something redemptive to the house. But this chapter, like the ones before, would not offer the reprieve the family so desperately sought tragically just a few weeks after her birth Anna Amelia Whaley died it's an anguish that again a parents shouldn't deal with once but in this case they've dealt with it twice now obviously all along the haunting that was occurring with his family never stopped we're going over the course of multiple years they still dealt with what they believed was the spirit of Yankee Jim now the older Whaley children grew into adulthood carrying with them the family's trials Among them was Violet Whaley. She was a young woman who, like her parents and siblings, were searching for happiness and, honestly, stability. Think about how unstable the household would have to be. In 1882, it seems she might have found it. She married a man who appeared to be everything that a young woman would hope for. He was charming, he was handsome, and seemingly, he seemed well-intended. But how does that old saying go? Not everything that glitters is gold? Well, it turned out that Violet's husband was a con artist, a man whose intentions were anything but honorable. The marriage dissolved amidst public scandal, the divorce papers, they detailed a litany of deceits and indiscretions. Violet, they say, was left heartbroken and humiliated. It wasn't just the betrayal of her husband, but the eyes of society was also on her, as if her very suffering was yet another spectacle, another tale whispered about in the community. It's said that Violet became extremely depressed. Again, you have to understand Violet was living in that house, in the Whaley house, and the disillusion of her marriage was more than just a personal tragedy. It was another layer of complexity in the dense narrative of that whaley house. After hearing this story, if anything, it makes me ponder the question about the boundaries between earthly misfortunes and if there's a spectral influence that may or may not play a role in our everyday lives. In 1885, the emotional turmoil that had gripped Violet Whaley since her failed marriage reached a devastating peak. Despite the love and the concern that her family gave her, the weight of her depression became unbearable. In a split second, Violet took her own life, shooting herself in the chest within the walls of the home that bore witness to so much of that family's suffering. It's wrote that this event took the Whaley family and shook them to their core. Even in a household accustomed to hardships, the self-inflicted death was too much of a blow and they would never fully recover. As was custom in those days, Violet's funeral was held in the family home. Again, adding another layer to this mysterious history going on in the house. During the late 1800s and the early 1900s, the family made multiple attempts to revive the residence as a tourist attraction or even a commercial venue. Those endeavors, much like the previous businesses, were met with limited success. Despite their best effort, the house, and by extension the family, continued to struggle financially. Now Anna Whaley, she was deeply affected by the losses of her children and the public scandal that had plagued the family. She lived until 1913. She outlived her husband Thomas, who passed away in 1890. Both of them also passed away in the family home. And they were survived by their daughters, Lillian and Corrine and their son, Francis. Now, Francis, he made a notable attempt to revive the family house as a historical site in 1913 after the passing of his mom. His efforts made very limited success. He passed away with the dream unfulfilled. But the Whaley story within the house was not over. There was only two left in the family, which was Lillian and Corinne. Lillian chose to stay in San Diego, her life largely private and away from that Whaley house. And honestly, who can blame her? If it was me, I wouldn't want to be a part of that house any longer. But Corinne, she was a school teacher by profession, was the one who continued to reside in the Whaley house until her death in 1950 and during her time there she often spoke of the house being haunted reinforcing its reputation in local lore as a dwelling of uneasy spirits and also corinne's story and her prolonged residence in the house fortified its mystical status as one of america's most haunted homes after corinne's death the house fell into a period of decline it was eventually left vacant serving as a silent witness to the family's layered history of triumphs and tragedies more tragedies and triumphs. A few years later, the county took over the property and they restored it, opening it as a museum and a historical site for the public. Now that we've delved into the history and the various facets of the Whaley House, I want to pivot to the spine-chilling encounters that we're dealing with now when it comes to visitors and the staff and what they've reported over the years. After all, it's these first hand accounts that have earned the Whaley House its reputation as one of the most haunted locations in America. I want to begin by talking about Anna Whaley. She was the matriarch of the household. Visitors often report smelling her French perfume wafting through the air, most notably in the master bedroom. Some say they've even claimed to see her. It's a woman in 19th century gown quietly doing her chores. She's often described as serene and focused. Almost as though she's still taking care of the home and the family. Then there's Thomas Whaley. As for Thomas, they assume that his presence is more frequently felt in the former study. People talk about footsteps and the sound of chairs moving or the rustling of papers. It's almost like he's still at work, taking care of the business matters, even in the afterlife. And of course, the man of the hour, Yankee Jim Robinson. We gotta circle back to him. Many people claim to hear footsteps that are heavier... And more foreboding than the others some even mention hearing that faint strand of a man gasping or choking echoing from the locations where the gallows once stood and then there's violet the whaley daughter who faced a tragic end it's also believed that she roams the halls of the family home some say that they've seen her and it's always accompanied by an overwhelming sense of sorrow people often report hearing like a faint sob or feel a sudden drop in temperature whenever she's near and let's not forget about the unexplained laughter and the footsteps of children. It's often heard in the nursery in the adjacent hallway. I can only assume the loss of young Thomas is probably where this is coming from. It's obviously a tragedy that he was lost to scarlet fever, but I can guarantee the eerie experience of hearing that laughter in the footsteps would have to leave many unsettled. There's also accounts of inanimate objects moving on their own, like a swinging chandelier, doors opening and closing... And even historical artifacts appear to be used or handled when no one is around. One of the most intriguing reports involves a cold spot in the courtroom, which honestly, if you think about it, South California weather and the lack of air conditioning in that historical building, it still remains persistently chilly in that spot in the room. And again, there's no rhyme or reason for it. In terms of hauntings and paranormal activity or phenomena, the Whaley House stands as a testament of how places can become vessels of like a human emotion and experience, good or bad. Whether it's the lingering perfume of Anna Whaley or the eerie footsteps of Yankee Jim or the unexplained laughter of children. These experiences make us question the boundaries between material and the in world. It's worth considering why stories like these continue to capture our imagination. Is it the thrill of encountering something beyond our understanding? Maybe it's the desire to connect with history in a more visceral way. Whatever the reason, the Willy House serves as a place where history is not just studied, but deeply felt. Unlike a traditional museum, where artifacts are oftentimes kept behind glass, here, the past feels alive, almost interactive, This is not to say that every experience can be easily explained. On the contrary, in fact, the house invites skepticism as much as it does belief. But as we wrap up, I invite you to ponder these stories and perhaps share your own. I mean, every house has a story to tell, but few are as vocal as the Whaley house. What other haunted location or eerie tales would you like to hear in future episodes from me? Feel free to share your thoughts. Maybe you yourself have a ghost story. I would love to hear it, and select stories may even be featured in upcoming episodes. If you find yourself captivated with the unsolved, the mysterious, and the unexplained, then you'll definitely want to tune into another podcast that I co-host with a friend of mine, Nick, and it's called Deceptive Reality. Every Friday, we delve into a diverse range of topics that intrigue and mystify, whether it be a ghost story that sends chills down your spine, UFO sightings that defy explanation, or the uncanny events that occur in the dead of night. Deceptive reality is your destination for thought-provoking discussions on any kind of phenomena that has puzzled us through the ages. You're not going to want to miss out. So far, we've covered topics such as the Mothman, the Shag Harbor incident. We've even covered the Circleville letters. So you're going to want to check us out every Friday. I want to thank everyone for being here. Please be sure to rate this podcast on your way out. Until I talk to you in the next podcast, goodbye.